that's, uh, I, I know that there's a lot of areas in my life where I'm somewhat demented, and this is, uh, this is definitely one of them. I've, I've always had this desire to, like, you know, stay in a, in a Sears or a Kmart after hours, you know. Just crawl up under the rack, you know, and uh, just kind of camp out there. And after they close all the doors, just spend the whole rest of the night going through and changing the price tags on everything, you know. I mean, would that be a buzz, you know? You, you come in the next day, and here's a color TV, and, you, you know, you look at the price, and it's, it's $7.95, $7.95, cents, you know, and you go over here to the Winnie the Pooh, the Pooh doll, and, you know, that thing is $549, you know, and people just freaking out about all of this, this big price tag switch that's gone on. And I don't know if you realize it or not, but you have lived through a period of time in Christianity where... All of the price tags have been switched. And it's it's not really funny. It would be no more funny than the manager of the Sears store is finding that out the next day. I mean, he would not think that's funny. And I'm not so sure that God thinks that it's very funny either. There, there's a, a song that's out. In fact, Frank sang it a few years ago. I, I wish I would have had you sing it today. Where it's The song is called Living life upside down. Some of you have probably heard the, the song, and and it, it's 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 talking about the fact that we we have uh, how's it go? Uh, what if we found ourselves at the bottom of a well, thinking that we've ascended to the top of a mountain, and we're reaching up to touch the ground, built, you know just living life totally upside down. And, and that's where we are right now in the midst of, of Christianity. And what's wild is not too many people even recognize what is going on and that there has been a price tag switch. And, and let, me, let me show you what, what I'm talking about. What do you think? What do you think would be the, the most negative, unpopular, unacceptable horrendous thing that you could absolutely do in the Christian life. I mean, what do you think would be that thing that if you did this, the Christian world would just look at that and be absolutely appalled that you did that? What would it be? Well, we, we've learned within the last year in Christianity that it's not having an adulterous affair. Now, I mean, I mean, that would typically be the kind of thing that you would think that if you, you, know, if you committed adultery that Oh, man, that might really be horrendous for you to do that. But you see, we learned through that little situation with Michael English, you know, the top vocalist, the vocalist of the year, you know, I don't know how many years running and all of that. And you can find out that on his Christian tour, he can, he can go to bed with one of the ladies in the backup, you know, in the, 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 the backup singers, and he can go through that whole deal and the whole world find out about it, and we'll give him the Dove Award for, you know, the, the Christian singer of the year, and then we'll bring him on TBN, and before he can even begin to sing, they are going to give him a standing ovation for several minutes. <laughs> Hello? I mean, what's up with that? And, and we've found out that it's, it's also that, you know, I mean, I, I would think the horrendous thing would be for a woman to leave her husband for another man. I, to me, that would just, I mean, a, a Christian woman? That would be horrendous, I, I think. But we found out 
That's not real horrendous in Christianity. Sandy Patty does it, and everyone still goes out, and they just can't buy enough of her CDs and tapes, and they'll promote her, and they'll applaud her, and this is just all a bless her heart. We just, you know. And we found out also that it, the most unacceptable thing that you could do, the most unforgivable thing would certainly not be to to erase all the lines that the, the Scripture clearly draws for us doctrinally and, and cover all of the black and, and white teachings of the Bible, just color them over with a big old gray crown and, and reword the Scripture so that it's not offensive to anybody. Reword it in such a way that nobody has to be confronted with sin when they look or listen to you preach. Nobody's confronted with the need to repent or, or change. And we, we saw last week, as we talked about this, and we don't have time to, you know, to stroke it too much, but we, we found out that's not the horrendous thing that could be done in Christianity. And we proved that with Billy Graham because Billy goes and he rides the circuit right now. And do you, do you really understand what's going on? Father's Day is, is, is next Sunday. And somehow, just you know, right during this period of time, he, he comes out with a new book, and he goes to Primetime Live, and he, he goes to uh, David Frost, and this week he was on Oprah Winfrey. and You know, you know what I'm saying? Have you seen? Everywhere you go, he, he's on there, and everywhere he goes, he's compromising sound doctrine all along the way. And the Christian community right now is looking at that going, man, isn't it, isn't it wonderful to see the spiritual maturity of this man, he has learned to love the way that Jesus loves. And that's what the Christian community calls it, rather than apostasy. You know you know what the most negative, unethical, unforgivable thing that a Christian could do against the Christianity of our day right now? You know what it is? fall in love with the Word of God. And I know, I, I know, right now, some of you are thinking, this, this dude is, he, he's off, he's just, he's got some little kind of a deal that he's, he's wanting to, to promote, and he's trying to, you know, nail some kind of a big time deal. I, I'll tell you, that's the most horrendous thing that you can do against Christianity right now is fall in love with this book. It, it's not. It's not to commit adultery. It's not to leave your spouse. It's not to compromise doctrine. Fall in love with this book. And, and I'll prove it to you. Turn in your Bible to Psalm 119. Psalm 119, if you're newer to the Bible, is, is the greatest chapter in all of the Word of God on the Word of God. In fact, it, it's the longest chapter in the Bible, 176 verses, and all but two of those 176 verses have to do with the Word of God, and this psalm was written by the man whom the Scripture refers to as the man after God's own heart. Listen, this is the heart of the Bible right here where we are. Psalm 119, Revelation chapter 3 talks about the key of David that opens doors you know where that key is? That key is found right here in this very chapter that we're looking at. What you're going to see is the man after God's own heart as he begins to talk about what he loves. Okay? okay. And I'm, I'm telling you, you th there's nowhere we could take you to get more of the, 
man after God's own heart than this very place. And you know what's interesting about this psalm? Is here is David, this, this man after God's own heart, a man who loved God with, with all of his heart, with all of his soul, with all of his mind and, and strength. But do you know how many times, I mean, if you were to just take all of David's writings and, and all of the places, and what the Psalms are just full of, is David expressing his heart for the Lord. And if you were to take all of David's writings, do you know how many times in all of David's writings that he actually told the Lord that he loved him or that he talked about his love for the Lord, this man after God's own heart? You know how many times? Two times. In all of the writings, in Psalm 18, verse 1, he says, I will love thee, O Lord, my strength. And in Psalm 116, in verse 1, he says, I love the Lord because he hath heard my voice and my supplications. Folks, that's it. Those two times, the only time that the man after God's own heart, the man who loved God probably more than any person who had ever lived, and in all of the Word of God, only two times does he express his love for the Lord. But what's interesting is that in Psalm 119 alone, he expresses his love for the Word of God 11 times. You say, well, what's up with that? Well, here's what's up with that. God is trying to get us to see here that we cannot separate loving Him from loving His Word. John 1, 1 even says this book is Jesus, right? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word, what? Was God. But one of the things that you find out in Psalm 119, now listen very carefully to this, this is wild. One of the things you find out in this psalm is that when you love the Word of God, there's something that happens to you that goes in direct contrast to the Christianity of our day. In fact, it crawls all over. You say, well, what is this dastardly thing that happens to you when you you fall in love with the Word of God? When you fall in love with the Word of God, folks, you automatically, and necessarily begin to hate anything that violates or is against truth. And man, you you talk about Christians hating something today, and oh, buddy, man, you'll be written off so fast. I mean, the Christianity of our day will call you legalistic and unloving, uncaring, unfeeling, negative, judgmental, a sower of discord, and I mean, it goes on and on and on and on and on. But you know what that really does? What it really does is it shows a misunderstanding of the true nature of love. Because, folks, if you have a perfect love for something, if you have a perfect love for something, you automatically and necessarily have to hate anything that is contrary to that perfect love. The most simple example in all the world is if you love flowers, you hate what? You hate weeds. Now, you don't have to go to a course to... Now, this course is to teach you how to hate weeds. No. If you love flowers, it's an automatic. You hate them because they are absolutely opposed to flowers. Flowers don't grow really too, too well when they're overtaken with weeds. You, you love your kid, okay? Your kid's got leukemia. Does anyone have to teach you to hate leukemia? No! 
I mean, it's just an automatic. If you love your kid, you're going to hate anything that is eating his body. And folks, listen. When you genuinely love the Word of God, you're going to know it. Not by some romantic goosebump that you get up your back. And not by some erotic butterflies that you have down in your stomach. You know how you're going to know it? By what you hate. Ooh. Now, the first thing that God says that you're going to hate when you love this book is you will hate every false way. Check out what David says here in Psalm 119, verse 127 and 128. He says, I love thy commandments above gold. I love thy commandments above gold, but not just above gold. Look at what he says. Yea, above much gold. But not just above much gold. Above much fine gold. And man, what a statement and what a slap in the face of the Christianity of our day that's characterized by the love of money the love of gold and all the things that money can buy. But David says here, Oh God, I, I love this book and I consider this book to be a, a treasure not to be compared with the finest treasure contained in all of the world. And now watch verse 128. Therefore, okay, because I love your word like that, therefore... I esteem all thy precepts concerning all things to be right. Now check it out. And I hate every false way. You see, folks, this book is the way of God. This book is the way to God. And when you love it, you don't have to learn this. You don't have to have someone tell you this. You don't have to sit in a class and have someone teach you this. Listen, if this book is the way of God, if this book is the way to God, and you love it, you automatically and necessarily hate every false way. What did Jesus say in John 14, 6? I am the way. And no man cometh unto the Father but by me. And you see, there's all kinds of various brands of Christianity out there telling people that the, the way to God is Jesus plus this, and Jesus plus this, and, and Jesus plus that. But if they tell you it's Jesus plus anything, you know what it is? It's a false way, right? And if you love this book, you hate that system. Amen. If you love this book, you hate every false system. Now, now listen, I'm not talking about we hate the people in those systems. No, we hate the system. We hate that false way that has, that has gripped them. And you see, the, the Christianity of our day thinks that it, it's so full of love and thinks that it's, it's so spiritual because it's just so accommodating with others that have various beliefs about Jesus and about this and, and about that. And you hear people say, oh, I, I think that we should, in the body, I think we should just respect each other's doctrinal positions. You know what, folks? 
Every time that you hear somebody make that statement, you know what you know about them? What do you know? They don't love this book. Now, it, it, am I twisting anything to make it say that? No. If you love that book, you hate every false way. Look back at verse 104. Through thy precepts I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. It goes against the grain of what we've been taught. It goes against the grain of what we've thought. But if you want to know how much you really love the Word of God, folks, just take a good, honest look at what you hate. And and here's the bottom line. If you do not hate every false way that is out there, you don't love this book. Because you see, every false way has something in common with all of the other false ways that are out there, and that is that they make people think that they're going the right way when they're not. And so how can you watch as people get sucked into false ways and it's leading them straight to hell and you can say, well, I just think that we need to put our our little petty doctrines aside and if that's the way that they want to believe, well, that's just fine. That's not what the psalmist said. He says, I look at those false ways and I hate it. I just absolutely hate that. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12 says, there is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Jesus, in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 13, Jesus called all of those false ways, He called them the broad way. And you remember what He said about that broad way? It leads to what? Destruction. You see, so how in the world could we look at the false ways of this world and say, well, that's just fine. No. The psalmist said, I look at them and I know what they're doing. They're leading people to destruction. And so I hate them. Folks, don't, don't, please don't come parading yourself that you're a loving Christian when, when you look at a false system and you don't have a hatred for it. You don't love the Word of God. That's the bottom line on the thing. You see, and, and, and that's, that's where those false ways are, are taking people. And because this book alone is the true way of God and the true way to God, you hate every false way. But the Lord shows us a second thing here in Psalm 119 that we're going to hate when we fall in love with this book. And that is, you will hate lying. Look at verse 163. He says, I hate and abhor lying, but thy law... Do I love? Do you see that? Because he loved the Word of God, he hated every lying system. Look at the end of verse 142. It says, Thy law is the truth. Okay, now I want you to get in your mind. He says, I hate lying. Now we know what the truth is, right? It's the Word of God. Thy law is the truth. Jesus said in John 17, 17, Thy word is truth. And you see, folks, what the psalmist has understood here, what you need to make sure that you understand, is anything that is not according to this book is a lie. Anything that contradicts this book is a lie. Anything that parades itself as being something that needs to be added to this book is a lie and David 
the man after God's own heart, the man who loved God like no other man who has ever lived, said, I look at that lion and I hate it. I hate lion. I abhor lion because I love the truth. And look, look back at verse 113. He adds a third thing that you'll hate. He says, I hate vain thoughts, but thy law do I love. And again, folks, you've got to understand what this book is. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 16 says that this book is the mind of Christ. Do you realize this morning, folks, that you are not just holding in your hands a, a bunch of paper with printed pages of ink and held together by some glue and, and, and some leather? Do you realize this morning... As we hold this book in our hand, do you realize what we've got? We are holding in our hand the very mind of God. These are His thoughts expressed with words. These are God's thoughts. And David says, I love God's thoughts, so I hate vain thoughts. What are those? Listen to Psalm 94, verse 11. It tells you what they are. Listen. The Lord knoweth the thoughts of man that they are vanity. They are vain. Vain thoughts are man's thoughts. Do you know what philosophy is, folks? Philosophy is man's wisdom. David says, I hate it. You hate it? Or do you think that's just some intellectual thing that really just is so intriguing? David says, that, that, that garbage is not intriguing to me. I hate it. You know what psychology and psychiatry is, folks? It is man's answers to his problems without God. And I don't care... And I know this ticks some people off every time I say I don't. I don't care what Minnerick and Meyer or anybody else wants. How they want to Christianize it, you know, sprinkle some Bible verses over Freud and and all of that trash. All it is is man's answers to his problems without God. And David, the man after God's own heart, says, "I hate all of man's thoughts. I just hate it." Do you do you hate psychology? Do you hate psychiatry? Or are you intrigued with that? He says, I'm telling you, I hate that junk. Y'all scaring me. I'm, you know, I feel like I'm up on the limb here. On the wrong side. And nobody's with me. You know what religion is? Religion is man reaching to God. You know what this book is all about? This book is all about the story of God reaching to man. Religion is man's thoughts. It's, it's man doing all kinds of stuff to convince himself that he's okay with God. David says, I hate that. I hate those vain thoughts that man comes up with of how he's going to please God, how he's going to answer his problems, his wisdom. And you know what, folks? When you fall in love with this book, you know what? You're going to hate all of that junk too. You see what I'm saying? Something happens to you. When you love the Word of God, you just automatically hate every false way. You hate 
lying and you hate the vain thoughts of man and you become very intolerant of that stuff. And like I said, the Christianity of our day will tolerate just about anything. I mean, they'll, they'll tolerate apostasy right before their very eyes. They'll, they'll, they'll tolerate adultery. They'll tolerate fornication. They'll to- tolerate a Christian singer who is, you know, miss everything and, and, and watch her leave her husband. They'll, they'll tolerate false doctrine. You name it. They're just full of love for anybody who, who's involved in any of that stuff. But you know the one thing that the Christian world cannot tolerate? You, you know where their love runs out? You know where these people who are never judgmental, never un- unforgiving, never unloving, you know where all their love runs out and all of a sudden they become very judgmental? It's with people like us who are very intolerant of every false way and lying and all the vain thoughts of man. It's just amazing to me how intolerant they can become when they parade themselves as being so tolerant and so loving until it comes to somebody who just hates the same stuff that God says that you ought to hate when you fall in love with that book. It's amazing to me. And what's gotten us into this this whole subject, if you haven't been here for the past several weeks, is we're, believe it or not, we're in a study of the book of Revelation. In fact, turn over there if you would. What's got us into this is we've made our way in the book of Revelation down to verse 8 of chapter 1. And here we are, we're in this book, which Revelation chapter 1 and verse 1 lets us know was written to reveal Jesus Christ. I mean, it takes the veil off of Jesus Christ and says, here he is, okay? And in verse 8, in this book that is written to reveal who he is, he, Jesus Christ is revealed here for who he really is. And one of the most beautiful and concise statements of his deity in the entire Bible, and if you're new to the the Christian walk and and you don't know the word deity is simply the fact that Jesus Christ is God. Deity has to do with Jesus being God. And in verse 8, John quotes Jesus saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty. In the last several weeks I've been trying to make sure that you understand just how important The teaching of verse 8 actually is as it presents the deity of Jesus Christ. And and, and I've been trying to get you to see how important that thing is when you put it into the context, not just of the book of Revelation, but when you put it within the context of all of God's revelation. And last week, after identifying some of the key false doctrines that we we have to contend with concerning the deity of Christ and the time that we're living in, in these last days, We took the whole rest of the time last week to identify the source of all false doctrines concerning the deity of Christ. And listen, once once you see the source behind all of the false doctrines that undermine the fact that Jesus Christ is equal to and is in fact Jehovah God, once you see the source of every teaching that is against that, you begin to understand why I just keep hammering the fact that this is the most important doctrine in the entire Word of God. We don't have time this morning to hit all of the verses that we did last week to prove this point, but we, we showed without, beyond any shadow of a doubt last week that false doctrines concerning the deity of Jesus Christ are not just the distorted 
doctrines of men, their source is none other than Satan and his devils. Turn back to 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 1. And we'll just quickly catch ourselves up here this morning. 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 1. It says, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. And the point that I was trying to make sure that we understood last week was that those devils and those spirits that he's talking about there, most of the time they don't float into your bedroom late in the middle of the night and start teaching false doctrines. They do it through human mouthpieces. False prophets, human false prophets and false teachers, but he's letting us know that behind those false human teachers that we can reach out and and if we open the screen door far enough, we can reach out and we could touch them, but behind that human teacher that we can see, what he's trying to get us to see, there is a seducing spirit or seducing spirits from the devil himself. And folks, when we go to that door and somebody is, is sporting a doctrine that is opposed to the doctrine that we know that the Word of God teaches about the deity of Jesus Christ, immediately you know the source. Go over to 1 John chapter 4 and verse 1. 1 John chapter 4, verse 1. Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. And there you see it again. Now look at the verse. False prophets who physically go out into the world and speak, but they speak just like Paul said there in 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 1. They speak by a spirit or spirits. He says, try the spirits because there are many false prophets. You don't look and see the spirit. You look and see the prophet, but behind the prophet there is a spirit that is working. And the end of verse 6 says, that they are either a mouthpiece. They are either speaking by the Spirit of truth, who Jesus said in John 16 and verse 13 was the Holy Spirit, or so they're either speaking by the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth, or they're speaking by the Spirit of error, which of course is a seducing spirit of a devil. And the way that you determine the difference, it's real simple. He gives it to us in verse 2. Hereby, or by this, know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. If they confess, and the word confess and John's writing means to agree or to say the same thing about Jesus that the Bible says about Him, that He is God in human flesh, that's the Spirit of God. When somebody says and when somebody agrees, they make the confession of what the Bible has to say about Jesus, John says, then that's how you know that they're of God. Verse 3, And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. If they don't agree with what this book presents about the Lord Jesus Christ, and he says, hey, it's just plain and simple. There's no doubt about it. There's no questions. It is just an absolute fact that is a spirit that is not 
of God, and he further identifies the source of that spirit in the rest of verse 3. And this is that spirit of Antichrist, whereof ye have heard that it should come, and even now already is it in the world. And even now, there's all kinds of hype that's going on in the world about the Antichrist and who he'll be and where he'll come from. And I believe that he's already somewhere alive on this planet. But John lets us know here that the spirit of Antichrist has been in the world for over 1,900 years now. It was already in the world back in 90 A.D. when John was writing this. And you can identify it. You can identify that Antichrist spirit every single time that you hear somebody who is carrying a false doctrine concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. When they, when they have one of those doctrines, know the source. It is an Antichrist spirit, a seducing spirit. It is a doctrine of the devil himself. Look, look back in chapter 2 of 1 John. 1 John chapter 2, verse 22. John says, Who is a liar but he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ? And that is that he is God. That he is the anointed one that the Old Testament promised that would come, whose name would be called the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father. If they don't believe that Jesus is the Christ, John says in the rest of the verse, that that person who denies that is not only a liar, look at what it says, he is Antichrist. The ones who say he isn't the Christ, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, That's an antichrist speaking of a seducing spirit, a seducing lying spirit of a devil. And while he says they think that they just deny the Son, John says in the rest of the verse, if they deny the deity of Jesus Christ, they deny the Father and the Son. You see, that's of course because they're one in the same. And check it out over in the book of 2 John. Because in the book of 2 John... John's still beating this same drum over in this this little book. I mean, this is not just some side little doctrine. This is not just something I conjured up. I've tried to, to review there so that you could see that what he does is he identifies for us the source of every spirit in this world that says anything other than the fact that Jesus Christ is Jehovah God. He lets us know the source, and when he comes to the book of 2 John, he's still making that same point. Look at verse 7. John says, for many deceivers are entered into the world who confess not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. And I mean, any way that you slice it on this subject, God says, you deny the fact that my son is Jehovah God in human flesh. And he says, you're an antichrist. The source of your doctrine is Satan himself and his demons or his devils. And and now what I want to do is I want to take the book of 2 John, I want to take verse 7, and I wanted to put it in its context for you because John adds some some very important things here that we need to be sure that we cover as we hit this, this subject. What he does here is he identifies for us in the book of 2 John what is to be our biblical response to false prophets and teachers concerning the deity of Jesus Christ? And as I mentioned as we were closing out last week, I would imagine that the book of Second John, out of the 27 books in the New Testament, I would imagine 
that as far as us really knowing what the content of this book is, this book probably ranks somewhere around 24, 25, 26, or 27. I mean, we can go to the book of Romans, and most of us can pretty much give an outline of that. And, and we know Colossians and 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians. I mean, we know what, what's in those books. Come to the book of 2 John, and it's kind of tucked away back there in the end. And, yeah, it's just he's writing to some lady, so it's really not too very important. Well, let me tell you, this book is so important. It is so important that you see what is going on here because what he's trying to teach us here, what the Lord is trying to get us to see through John is that there are some things that we have got to make sure that we know so that we can be obedient to these things as we seek to deal with false prophets and teachers in our own day. I mean, he lays it out. And to really see what's, what's going on here, you've got to understand some things about the background of the book to understand its message. And we don't, have to, you know, we don't have to check into any commentaries and find out some kind of truth that isn't presented here. We find out the background of this book and what prompted the letter right from the letter itself. Notice in verse 1, John writes, The elder unto the elect lady and her children. And of course, John, the apostle John, is the elder. Okay, the, the same John who wrote the Gospel of John, who wrote the book of Revelation, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. He's the elder. Okay, now those who hold the position of leadership in the church are many times referred to in Scripture as elders. And John certainly was a, a leader in the church, but I don't think John is referring so much to his position here as he was the simple fact of his age. Because when John wrote this, I mean, he was an elderly fella at that time. He was somewhere between 80 and 90 years of age. And he's writing this letter as an old man, an elder, writing to a, a letter to a lady that the Scripture doesn't specifically call her by name, simply refers to her as the elect lady. Okay, Obviously, she's someone who who is very close and very special to John. No doubt she's a, a Jew who has embraced the Lord Jesus Christ as, as her Savior and an elect lady. And apparently she was a very loving lady. And I want you to get this now. Apparently, and you'll see this as we get into it, she was a very loving lady. Her, her husband probably had, had died because there's no mention of him anywhere in this, as we'll see as we'll get a little further into it. Her children were grown, and evidently what has happened is because she was so loving, she had taken into her home, she had opened her home to false prophets and had lodged them. And that's why John says in verse 10, If there come any unto you and bring not this doctrine, receive him not into your house, neither bid him Godspeed. And evidently what has happened in John's travels, he had met up with this elect ladies, nieces, and nephews. Look, look at verse 13. It says, The children of thy elect sister greet thee. So evidently John is out there in, in his travels as he would go from church to church. Evidently what had happened is he comes along to this elect lady that he's writing this letter to. He, he runs into her nieces and nephews, and as they begin to talk to John, they begin to let let John know what their aunt had been doing as far as being victimized by these false teachers. The fact that this loving lady has been just indiscriminately opening her home to anybody who professes the name of Jesus Christ, regardless of what 
various doctrines that they, they carried. So John writes to make sure that this extremely loving and benevolent and hospitable lady knew how the Lord wanted her to be discriminant and how to respond to these false teachers. And that's what prompted John to write this letter. And I want you to look at verse 12. Because I think verse 12 shows us the the urgency of these words for us. John says to her, Having many things to write unto you, I would not write with paper and ink, but I trust to come unto you and speak face to face, that our joy may be full. And what I want you to note about that is we don't know what those things are that he spoke to her when he spoke face to face to her. And you know what that means? What that means is that the Holy Spirit didn't want us to know those things that he spoke to her face to face. If we did need to know them, if they were what the Spirit of God wanted for us, then the Holy Spirit would have prompted John to write those things with paper and ink, and he would have preserved those for us just like he did these words. But the fact I want you to see is the Holy Spirit did want us to have these words. There's a reason that these words are sitting in your Bible. And the reason they're sitting in your Bible is so that God's people through the centuries would know how, as children of God who have been called to love, how they are to respond in love to false prophets and teachers. And you see, folks, listen, we are facing today the same exact dilemma this lady was facing. People who carry false doctrines concerning the Lord Jesus Christ, and he's writing and giving instruction on, here's how you respond in that kind of situation. So folks, listen, perk up your ears, and let's get the message that the Holy Spirit of God is wanting us to get as he preserved these words for us. What he does here is he shows us in this book how love operates when it faces false doctrines and false prophets and teachers. And as he does that, the first thing that he shows us is the basis of love. Now look back at verse 1. Verse 1. The elder unto the elect lady and her children, watch this now, whom I love in the truth. Now, why does the Holy Spirit inspire John to write those words to her that way? Why doesn't he just say, the elder unto the elect lady and her children whom I love? But he says, whom I love in the truth. And you see, he's already beginning to teach her about what true biblical love is all about. And that is that true biblical love has as its basis truth. And you see, here's this lady. And she knows that the identifying mark of a believer in Jesus Christ is love. And because it's the identifying mark of a believer, man, she just wants to love everybody. And so right from the get-go, I mean, he doesn't even get the first sentence out of his mouth. Right from the get-go... John tries to get her to see that true biblical love has as its basis truth. In fact, five times within the first four verses, he uses the word truth. And folks, make sure that you understand the point that John is making here. And that is, love and truth are inseparable in Christianity. And I'm telling you, 
It's the craziest thing in the world. Everywhere you go in Christianity today, people are saying, well, folks, listen, Jesus has called us to love, and we've got to go beyond what people believe and just love them. And listen, who cares about doctrine? Well, I'll tell you who cares about doctrine. God does. You can't destroy truth for the sake of love. And, and you see, that's really the theme of this book of the Bible, that you can't allow love to be governed by anything but truth. And, and the very first thing John wants to model for this, this very dear lady is the fact that it was truth that bound him to her and her children. Now, as I was studying this, I was thinking about, about Frank and myself. Now, you know that I love Frank. And you know that Frank loves me. But if you, if you really know us, you know that it's the weirdest thing in the world. We don't have a thing in common. I don't like the same things that Frank likes. And Frank doesn't like the stuff that I like. His interests are in a whole different arena than mine. But, but I'll tell you this. We have what I think is one of the closest friendships that I think two men could, could have. And it, you know why? It's because of the principle that John is talking about right here. We love each other in the truth. And when it comes to the truth, you know what? Frank and I have an unbelievable amount in common. And it seems that through the years, the more that we fall in love with truth, the more we love each other, and, and the more we allow this, this, uh, the Lord to teach us this truth, the, the deeper our love grows for one another. You see, the basis of the thing is truth. So John tells her here in verse 1, I love you in the truth, and not I only, but also all they that have known the truth. Folks, listen. This is an overriding principle in the body of Christ. Romans 5.5 5 says that, that the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which He has given to us. And we saw earlier, the Holy Ghost is the spirit of truth. So you see, there's, a, there's an incredible love that is shed abroad within the bounds of truth. And watch verse 2 now. For the truth sake. For the truth's sake. Why do we love? It's because we stand together in the truth. We love because we have a common basis for love. And, and sure, as believers in Jesus Christ, we are to love our neighbors and we've commanded, been commanded to do so, but there is a special bond of love that is shared between brothers and sisters in Christ, isn't there? And there it's a love that, that is there, not because we have compatible personalities. It's not there because we have the same interest or we share the same socioeconomic level or we agree on certain opinions or certain controversial subjects. No, we love the brethren because we stand together in truth. Verse 2 says, For the truth's sake which dwelleth in us and shall be with us forever. You see, we, we have this, this common ingredient inside of us called truth. The Word of God. And it, it's in us. And it produces another common ingredient inside of us. And it's love. And you see, that's why when we take trips to other parts of the world, whether it be the Philippines or Thailand or India or Mexico, or 
it, it doesn't matter. You know what happens to us? We sense an immediate bond of love with our brethren there. Why? Verse 2 says it's because of the truth that dwells in us. True biblical love is founded on truth. Now, how many of you believe that? Say amen. Okay, now if that's true, if true, genuine, biblical, Christian love is founded on truth, then there's something else that is true. We can never increase love by decreasing truth. Now, just, just hang on that for a second. Think about that. If the basis of true biblical love is truth, then we can never increase love by decreasing truth. And you see, that's, that's the fallacy of all of these groups that are out there today in Christianity trying to manufacture th this unity. What they, they do is they, they look and they see, you know what? These doctrines are keeping us from being unified. These truths of the Word of God are keeping us from having unity. So let's, let's just get rid of truth so we can love each other. Now, do you see that? What John is trying to get us to see is that violates the very nature of love because love has as its basis truth. You know, when you're dealing with your, your kids, okay, and they're, they're, they're six months of age, you're trying to teach them to walk in truth to walk according to what you know they, they need to be, learn obedience, right? So, you know, they're, they're just getting to the point, they're seven, eight months, they're, you know, kind of crawling around and everything, and they're making their way over to the, the coffee table where you got all kind of stuff there that they don't need to be touching. So it's a great opportunity for you to, to teach them, no, you don't touch these things. And, and so what, what people do is, rather than, than teach them truth, take everything off of the coffee table while the kid's in the room, you know? What a great opportunity to teach discipline, you know? And so here they are, and now they're four years old, and they still haven't learned that you don't touch the stuff on the coffee table. And we call that love. No. We call that stupidity. That's not love. You, you're not increasing. I just don't. I, if they do it, then I'd have to spank them. And if I spank them, then I wouldn't really love them. No, you don't understand. But if you love them, you're going to teach them truth. You do not increase love by decreasing truth. It, it doesn't, it, not in any area of life. And you see, when you bring it to the bottom line, the fact is, where there is no truth, there is no real love. Because love has as its basis truth. Then in verse, seven, uh, verse 3, he interjects a greeting. And even in that, I, I want you to see that, that the basis for the greeting is the same thing. Grace be with you, mercy and peace from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, and here it comes again, in truth and love. And John's trying to get us to see that the fellowship that we share as believers is created in truth and is manifest by love. And those two are inseparable. If you walk in truth, you walk in love. And if you walk in true biblical love, then you walk in truth. We have a, we have a covenant in our, our church. Certain things that we agree to, that the Bible teaches about what we are to be as this local body of believers. And we, 
we, we, we make a covenant with one another that we will follow those things together as a church so that we're all in agreement about what the truth of the Word of God is. Okay, and people say, well, you know, I'm just, I'm just too loving to, to face people with the truth. I, I really, you know, they get overtaken in a fault, and I, I just have a hard time, you know, going and, and, and saying, you know, the, the Word of God, brother, the Word of God, sister, says this. I'm just too loving of a person. No. The truth is, and I'm, I'm, not, I'm not trying to make you mad or anything, the, the truth of the matter is you don't really love them. Self-included. We, we don't really love them. Turn back to the, to the book of Second Thessalonians for just a sec. Second Thessalonians chapter three. And verse five. Paul says, And the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God. And boy, that's what we need, isn't it, folks? And and some of you that are that are ticked off at me this morning because you think that this is really unloving and you know we really shouldn't you know, be talking, you know, this thing and all that, that, that kind of stuff. What, 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 what Pastor Mark needs is he really needs to be directed in his heart into the love of God. And boy, that's, that's what we really need. All oh, that our hearts would be directed into the love of God. And then His love would be shed abroad out of our hearts in all directions. Boy, that's what we need. Now, verse 6. Now, we command you, brethren... In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, to forget about sin and false doctrine and just connect yourself with any and everybody. See, that's true biblical love. When our hearts are directed into the love of God, that's what we do. Is that what we do? No. We command you, brethren, you brethren that we just prayed would be directed into the love of God. We command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye withdraw yourself from, count them, every brother that walketh disorderly and not after the tradition which he received of us. Now, I mean, is that a trip or what? Paul says, we all need to love like God loves. And here's the beginning place, folks. Withdraw yourself from all those who live in disobedience to this book and those who have forsaken the true doctrines of this book. Someone says, you mean that's love? Yep. That's true biblical love because it's discipline. And discipline is love. And you see, folks, no matter what you may feel, no matter how anybody wants to redefine it, when your so-called love makes you compromise truth, it has ceased being godly love. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 15 says that we are to speak the truth in love. You don't hide the truth under the guise of love. You speak it in love. And the point John is trying to get this lady to see, and you can go back to 2 John now, the point that John is trying to get this lady to see and and the Holy Spirit is, is using to try to get us to see is that the basis of sharing love is truth. And you don't indiscriminately share love for the sake of love. You share love 
for the sake of what? Truth. And when truth is violated, then love is redirected. And then he shows us the next thing in verses 4 through 6, the behavior of love. And we'll just hit this one quickly. The basis of love, we saw, is, is truth. The behavior of love is obedience. You can put that in that parentheses there. The basis is truth. The behavior of love is obedience. How, how does love operate? You know how it operates? You know how it behaves? It obeys. Look at verse 4. I rejoiced greatly that I found of thy children walking in truth as we have received a commandment from the Father. Do you see? The, the Father commanded it. And her children were obeying it by walking in truth. That's what it means to, to walk in truth. It's to just be obedient to the truth. And, and here were this lady's children walking in truth. They were doing it right. And so now here's what John does. Now, now watch this. What he does is he sets them up, her children, as an example for her to follow in, in, with this whole issue of sharing love with others. Now look at verse 5. And now I beseech thee, lady, not as though I wrote a new commandment unto thee, but that which we had from the beginning, that we love one another. Now, here it is. Here's this lady who's just loving everybody, and now, for some strange reason, he, he's, he's reminding her of the commandment that we received of the Father to love, verse 6. And this is love. You see, he's trying to get her to, uh, to, to show her how true biblical love operates or how it behaves. And this is love that we walk after his commandments. We walk according to the truth. You know what he's beginning to get us to see? Is that we don't make our focus loving people. Say what? No, we don't make our focus loving people. Love the truth. And when you love the truth, you love all the right people. And you love all the right things. This is love, that we walk after his commandments. This is the commandment. That as you have heard from the beginning, you should walk in it. And he's back to the same point. Walking in love is walking in truth. And walking in truth is walking in love. And again, those two are inseparable. Love obeys. It obeys truth. And when truth is violated, love is not just unleashed. No, the love of truth keeps love in bounds. Are, are, you, are, you, are you seeing that point? When you love the truth, you're set. It keeps you in bounds and it makes sure that your love is not indiscriminate going out and receiving people that God says, I don't want you receiving. We'll see that. And then the next point, the bounds of love. I mean, how far does, does love really go? I mean, what are we really supposed to do? When does truth pull love in okay that's what he covers in, in verses 7 through 11 now 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 remember in verses 4 through 6 he just told her walk in truth and walk in love why look at verse 7 here's the reason what, what's the first word you got to do this for 
before many deceivers are entered into the world who confess not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. And do you see his point here? Unless you understand the connection between truth and love, and unless you're walking in truth, and unless you're walking in love, you'll never respond to these deceivers and antichrists who deny the deity of Christ the way that God wants you to. Hello? Are you following that? We've got to understand this thing of walking in truth and walking in love because there's so many deceivers and antichrists out there, and if we're going to respond correctly, we've got to be walking in truth. We've got to be walking in love. And so mark it down, folks. You're going to see this in verse 8. Our response to those deceivers and antichrists, it is so important to God. Verse 8 lets us know that it will even have a very profound impact on us in eternity. How we respond to human teachers in this life is going to have an impact on all of us in eternity. Look at what verse 8 says. Look to yourselves. In other words, watch out here. Be very, very careful here that we lose not those things which we have wrought, but that we receive a full reward. What he's saying is, if we respond the wrong way to these deceivers and antichrists, we put ourselves in a position of losing rewards that we have already wrought or we have already worked for, what we've already earned or gained. And 1 Corinthians chapter 3 teaches that all of us who know the Lord Jesus Christ is our Savior, that all of us are going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ, and we are presenting to Him the work of our life. And what it says that God is going to do is He is going to, through the work of our life that we have built, He is going to light a match to that thing. And with what is left, we will be rewarded. And if we've built with gold, silver, and precious stone, what happens to gold, silver, and precious stone when you put a match to it? Nada. Nothing, man. But there's other building materials that He talks about. We use wood, hay, and stubble. Amen. But you light a match to that, and, and it's, it's a goner. And what He's saying here is... When it comes time to the judgment seat of Christ, if you have responded incorrectly to false teachers and false prophets, these deceivers and antichrists, you run the risk of losing rewards that you have already wrought. Gold, silver, and precious stone somehow is going to become wood, hay, and stubble if you do not respond correctly. You say, well, okay, whoa, whoa, whoa then. This is pretty significant. Okay, now, who do I show love to and who do I not show love to? And, and when do I and when don't I? And what do I do and, and what don't I do? Look at verse 9. Here is where truth draws lines for love. Okay? Here is where you draw the line for sac self-sacrificing deeds to meet the needs of others. That's what love is. Here is where you draw the line. With whosoever, verse 9, whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ. Truth draws lines for love towards those who transgress the doctrine of Christ. You say, well, what does that mean? You say, well, just remember, he's been talking about walking in truth. And he's talking here about people who aren't walking in truth. They aren't abiding 
in the doctrine of Christ. And I want you to get a mental image of that. Look at the verse again. Look at verse 9. You see, this book, the, the Bible, it lays out for us the truth concerning Christ, that He is, in fact, God in human flesh. And what he's saying here is we have been called by God to walk in that truth. We are to make sure that we abide in that truth. But he says there are those who have transgressed. Okay, You've got the true doctrine of Christ here. We're to abide in it and walk in it. But there are those who have transgressed. And the word transgress has to do with going beyond. Going outside. Okay, do you see it? There are those who go beyond. They go outside the doctrine of Christ. They leave the true doctrine of Christ. They go outside of the truth that we've been called to walk in. There are those that transgress, and that's where truth pulls it in. And you'll notice on your study sheet here, I've got a little little chart. We're going to do this real quickly, so don't, don't be freaked out about how much we've got to, to, to do here. This is going to come real quickly at you, okay? Now, guys, this is a handle. Junior high, high school, man, I'm telling you, this will be a little handle for you. If you'll get this, you can carry this with you all over the world. Ladies and gentlemen, husbands, wives, old people, whoever, I'm telling you, this is just a little little deal. If you'll grab a hold of this, you'll carry it with you the rest of your life. It's so simple. Every person in this room can memorize it just real quickly. All you got to think of are the keys to math. Okay, what, what, what are the basics of mathematics? Add, subtract, multiply, and divide. Right? Okay, can you remember those four things? Just remember mathematics. Add, subtract, multiply, or divide. Anytime that you're wanting to test the Spirit. Okay, we've been called by God. Try the spirits, whether they are God. How do I do that? Okay, what, what he's showing us here through the teaching in the book of 2 John is this. First of all, ask yourself, do they add anything to the Bible? Now, I want you to memorize this with me as we go. I want you to memorize it right now. This is so basic, we can all do it. Okay, the first thing we ask is, do they add anything to the Bible? Do they add, the, I mean, is it the Bible plus tradition? The Bible plus the science and health key to the Scriptures? Which is Christian science, if you're not familiar with that. The Bible plus the Book of Mormon, which is the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, the reorganized Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. It's the Bible plus this. The Bible plus Charles Taze Russell's studies in the Scriptures, the Jehovah's Witnesses, and the little simple rule of thumb is if they add anything to the Bible, flush it. See, that's real easy. Number one, add. Do they add anything to the Bible? Simple little question. Okay, number two, do they subtract anything from the deity of Christ? Number one, do they add anything to the Bible? Number two, do they subtract anything from the deity of Christ. And folks, listen. It's real simple. And I, I showed you this all through the first part of the, this message and, and, and right here in the book of Second John. If they say that he is anything less than Jehovah God, flush it. If they subtract anything from the deity of Christ, it's not, it's not of God. 
Thirdly, the word multiply. Do they multiply human works to the finished work of Christ in salvation? Are they telling you that you've got to multiply faith with the seven sacraments? Faith and baptism. Faith and the baptism of the Spirit evidenced by speaking in tongues. Faith and holding out faithful to the end. If human works in any way, shape, or form are added or multiplied for salvation, then flush it. Do they add anything to the Bible? You jot these down. Do they add anything to the Bible? Subtract anything from the deity of Christ. Do they multiply human works? And number four, do they divide followers from society? If they try to make you a part of a, a cloistered group, and what that means is people who live in a commune, a compound, or a convent. They're asking you to become a part of the group like that. Flush it. Run from it. You know you're not dealing with the true doctrine of Christ. You see, that's what John is talking about here with transgressing the doctrine of Christ. It's going outside and not abiding solely in the doctrine of Christ that is revealed in the Bible. And anything outside of it, if they add anything to the Bible, if they subtract anything from the deity of Christ, if they multiply human works, if they divide you from society, what he says here is it is demonic. It, they're deceivers. They're antichrists. And John adds in the middle of verse 9, they have not God. You see, again, it's real cut and dry. If any of this is true, they're not of God. And you don't have to guess about it. But the opposite is also true. He says in the middle of verse 9, He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, he hath both the Father and the Son. That's how you know who to receive and who to embrace and who to share love with. Those abiding in the true doctrine of Christ. And if they say that Christ isn't God, or they say that it's got to be Christ plus something, minus something, multiplied, divided, here's what you do. Verse 10. If there come any unto you and bring not this doctrine... Receive him not into your house, neither bid him Godspeed. Don't let him in your house. You turn him away. And what he's saying here with this Godspeed, and don't be saying, well, God bless you guys. No. You don't do that. The reason that I felt like we needed to go on this, this deal and get you to see what the Scripture has to say about this is because I felt like on that first week when I was playing the devil's advocate with you on the deity of Christ and all that, I, I, I kind of felt that everybody was, you know, feeling like, okay, well, i got to get all schooled and all this because i can bring them in the house and give them donuts and coffee and, and all of this kind of stuff and we'll sit around and I'll blow them away with the Bible. No. Don't receive them in your house. Now, that doesn't mean that you don't identify the source. You see, that's, what I, that's why we went through all of that. So you could see the source. So that you see, when you're standing at the door, you're not feeling like, you know, well, you know, we just don't agree on some of these things. And, well, God bless you. No. You come as a spokesman for God. 
saying, my friend, let me tell you something. You have been deceived. The spirit that is working behind what you're doing is an antichrist spirit. That's what the word of God says. It is of demonic origin. And unless you get out of that cult, you will spend for eternity separated from Jehovah God. See, and, and you, you deal with them according to truth. If you want to love them, give them the truth. Let them see. And, and, and you know what? If, 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 I'm, if I'm a Jehovah's Witness or I'm a Mormon or, or, or one of these kind of folks and I'm, I'm coming to the door and there's, there's quite a few folks in this room that represent a lot of folks in this community. And you know what? If I, if I go to enough houses and I'm getting, you are an antichrist from a demonic source speaking right now as a false prophet, a, a spirit of error. You know what? I'm going to go home that night going, what's up, man? I, I better, you know, I better, I better check this thing. Don't, don't get in a shooting match. Hey, give them, give them truth as long as they'll sit and listen to truth. As soon as they start trying to teach you, it's over. You're going to bet them Godspeed. I'm not, I'm not telling you, you grow fangs and, you know, slam the door. and you know, I, I, I'm not saying any of that. Identify the source. Keep it within the bounds of truth. And you're done. Now, something to note about verse 10 is that this is in reference to false teachers. Okay? Make sure you get this point. This is in reference to false teachers and not just believers in false doctrine. Verse 10 is about people coming to you for the purpose of bringing you false doctrine. And he says very, very clearly, you don't let them in your house. You turn them away. But now listen, if you've got a, if you've got a friend or a co-worker or a family member who's in one of these false ways, one of these false systems, listen, it, it's something totally different to sit down with, with them and share with them the truth and, and love of, of Christ and to sit down and, and I'm, I'm, listen, if you've got a family member, don't go, you'll never step foot in this house again because we've been learning about love down in the Bible, you know, down at the First Baptist. We've been learning about love down there. And so, don't, no, no, when they're approaching you as a false prophet, as a false teacher, that's when you turn them away, okay? But boy, listen, some of you got people that you love dearly. Love them out of that system. Love them by loving this book enough to get in there and learn the truth that can bring them out. You see, and, and John's point through the whole letter and the point that, that I wanted to make sure that, that we see as we're dealing with this, this basic doctrine from Revelation chapter 1 and verse 8, I want you to understand that the Bible does teach that love has limits. And, and I feel like that's so important. Because as we try to hold faithful to the form of sound words that we've had delivered to us, the form of sound doctrine, as we're trying to hold on to that, you're going to be called unloving because you hold the truth. And I'm trying to get you to see that truth cannot be forsaken for the sake of love. And what he says here, and we'll finish up with this, is if you embrace those with doctrines of Christ that are outside of what God has revealed, right here in the Bible, and you just, God bless everybody, verse 11 says, he that biddeth him Godspeed is partaker of his evil deeds. Now, can you imagine that? Would any of you, would you ever go and approach somebody's door and say, 
Jesus Christ is not God in the human flesh. You not on your life. But he says, when you don't respond according to truth, you become a partaker of their evil deeds. Folks, that's the way that God views it. That's how seriously God takes this thing. We become a partaker of their evil deeds. And he says, that is so serious to me that when it comes to the judgment seat of Christ, you will lose rewards that you have already earned by responding incorrectly in a situation like this. So folks, God's called us to love. But what you need to make sure that you do is you fall in love with this book. And buddy, when you fall in love with this book, this book will keep you in balance. And you'll love all the right stuff. But do understand this. If you do, if you do fall in love with it, there's some stuff that you're automatically and necessarily going to hate in the Christianity of our day will call you anything but a Christian for hating what God hates and loving what God loves. Weird days. We need to make sure this book is what we set ourselves to. If you're here this morning 